The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest to business and finance and markets around the world, hosted by me, Rob Cox, the global editor of Reuters Breaking Views. Now, the last time we had Anthony Scaramucci on the podcast was like a week before Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. At the time, Scaramucci, who's the founder of a successful fund of funds business called Skybridge, was backing Trump. So I asked him then if he'd serve the new president, Donald Trump, should he win in the White House? Well, he told me no, he wouldn't, unless, of course, he could become the ambassador to the Vatican. Well, Callista Gingrich, Newt Gingrich's wife, got that job. She's still there. But Anthony, who's known as the mooch to his friends, wound up serving for 11 days as White House Director of Communications. Now, I won't go into all the details, but it was a colorful, shall we say, 11 days. Anyway, since Anthony and I were both in Rome, where he was hosting a lunch with former Italian Prime Minister Matteo Renzi, I thought it would be a hoot to sit down and talk to him about markets, politics, populism, and everything else he's learned since those tumultuous days in the White House. So give it a listen. Anthony, the last time I saw you, it was like a week before the U.S. election in 2016. We talked about your, you were supporting Trump back then. Um, the last thing I asked you, I think, was whether you would take a job in the new administration. Do you remember your response? Yeah, I was ambivalent about it, but I was also very honest. I said that I would love to probably be an ambassador. You and I are coincidentally sitting here in Rome. <laughs> I knew that if uh, the president won, Lou Eisenberg would be the ambassador to Italy, which he ultimately became. Yeah. But I was interested in p possibly going to the Vatican, but uh, that didn't happen. But what happened, you know, I mean, anyway, my mom got sick with leukemia, and so that really changed my view of leaving the United States because, you know, I lived two, two miles from my parents, always have taken care of them, and they, I didn't want to leave. Yeah, family so, over, over. So see that? So, so then I went into that 11-day fiasco in the White House. I don't know what you're talking about. Wait, what did you do? It was, you? Beautiful, it was a beautiful <laughs> ending, actually. But, but you know, the, it, you, you probably remember this. I was slated to be the president's OPL director. So yeah. I had hired Andrew Giuliani who's still in OPL, working for President Trump. And, uh, but then Reince, oh, and that's the, oh, it's OPL. That, that, that's Office of Public Liaison. Right. Uh, Steve Bannon and Reince Priebus blocked that. Um, they made up all kinds of misinformation about me and so forth. And so then me and, uh, I, I called President Trump, I said, these two guys are bad guys. When you want to get rid of them, call me and I'll help you take care of it. Right. Well, we, that's how I ended up in the comps position. Right, right, right. Okay, well, we won't go into that. I mean, you've no, talked whatever. a lot about I'm it. But no, but to I, talk about it. It's interesting because you and I also spoke at the, or we spoke to you at the Republican National Convention that mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we, you know as, as you know, we're, we talk about economic stuff. I mean, right. there's all the other stuff, the politics, but what I'm still focused on, and I know you as a No, as a, I read, I, I read your stuff. Listen, we... we we're running $11.5 billion. Uh, the firm is 15 years old. That's really what I've done with my life. Yeah. The political foray was somewhat accidental because when I came out of college, I didn't have a network. And so the, the way I developed the network is I wrote a couple of campaign checks. My first check was to Rudolph Giuliani in 1989. <laughs> right, right. You know? I so, 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 I mean, you know, to me, I've learned a lot from the politicians. I learned a lot about policy and how it affects investing. But I think we're in a, we're in a trap right now. Uh, uh, and it's a monetary policy trap because they're afraid to normalize rates. They tried the process of normalizing rates in 2018, and a trap door came out of the market. You had a 14.5% decline 
in the U.S. stock market in the fourth quarter of 2018 with just three small interest rate raises. People just freaked out about freaked out. So, so money having a cost. So there's two things going on uh, that I think are relevant to your people. Thing number one is the Volcker rule is misunderstood. And so everybody thinks, okay, that made the bank safer, but it made the markets less safe. And so we estimate there's about $450 billion of proprietary trading capital that has come out of the marketplace. So balance sheets at Morgan Stanley, Credit Suisse, anybody that's regulated by the Fed, they've reduced their inventory by 97%. So when Tesla is spinning, the way it's spinning right now, 60% of the ownership of Tesla's changing hands every day, that's algorithmic, that's electronic, uh, and that's short covering, all that sort of nonsense, but there's no prop capital in the markets anymore. So that's a real shame because the specialist and the proprietary trader always added a buffer system to the market. So but isn't that isn't that most uh, obvious though when we have a downturn, when you have a correction? I mean, who's there to pick well, up the pieces? Well, so the great irony is the monetary policy has masked the issue related to the Volcker rule. So if 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 you're driving monetary policy the way we've done for 12 years, interest rates are the financial gravity of financial assets, and mm-hmm. so the lower they go, higher the assets will levitate. So you have this asymmetric upward move of assets that's masking the fact that we have no buffer in the system anymore. So you raise rates a few times, and all of a sudden the trap door comes out of the market. And so now, obviously, the president is jawboning the Fed, um, but I don't really think that's what, you know, knowing Jerome Powell, I know him reasonably well, I don't think he was affected by that jawboning. I think what he's affected by is the notion that the Phillips curve is actually flatter and longer than we all thought. Myself included, by the way. I, I was positioned in 2019 for higher rates. And so, you know, we lost money. In two, I mean, we were up about 6% in, in 19, but we probably lost 2% on hedging. Right. And so, so Jerome Powell, myself, other people in the marketplace got wrong the elasticity of the Phillips curve, born from new technology, just-in-time inventory, all of the things that have made for uh, reasonably good growth with very scant inflation, something that and you and I... very little inflation, er, er, wage inflation. In, very it's, little it's, wage inflation. So, problem. so that's compounding the political problem. And you have, as you say, the monetary policy, which has made the rich richer. Yeah. I mean, all so, this, in a sense, really comes down to how Donald Trump became president. Well, there's no question, because he became an avatar for the anger of the middle and lower class. And... The great irony of what's going on right now, the Obama economy was better than the Trump economy. The Obama economy grew faster. The Obama economy created more jobs than the Trump economy. And the scary secret about the Trump economy is that middle class wages are actually down in real economic terms over the last three years. But the great irony of all that is it's reinforcing his likelihood of being reelected because these people are angry. And one thing that Trump is very, very good at is being an avatar for their anger, being a metaphorical thumb in the eye of you and me. Mm-hmm. You're a journalist, so therefore you're the media. I'm an elitist because I work at a hedge fund. So he, he can stick a thumb in your eye and my eye and use his Twitter feed to be a channel for their anger. And that's working. And But the great irony is 50 years from now, long after you and I are gone, or You'll probably be alive because you look pretty good. Oh, thanks. Um, uh, but I'll be I gone. But we'll be li- an economic historian will write about the era. They'll say, "Wow, 
They tried to get out of the financial crisis by lowering the rates. It helped them get out of the crisis, but it really helped the people with assets. It didn't help the no. people without the assets, and it caused systemic of course, there, we're, anger, we populism, and nationalism. We, we're in the middle of an election year, so yeah. there is, and if you look at some of the campaigns from Bernie Sanders to Elizabeth Warren, there is a sort of hope or a, an idea about rectifying that and changing that trajectory. Have you got, um, where are you You can't on? change it the way they want to change it because well. you can't systematically create equal outcomes. Human beings are not designed no, for that. you can create taxation mechanisms. Yeah, you could do that, that and then that people will something. move their money offshore and they'll, you'll create a black market. You'll do all the things that happens in a communist or socialist regime. The, the rich, you know, the Bible has some great lines in it, but one of the great lines is the rich and the poor will always be among us. Mm -hmm. uh, a good government should figure out a way to snip the tails a little bit, meaning make the poor less poor, and tell the rich guy, you know, 100 billion, you know, you could do, you're going to be just fine. You're going to eat just fine yeah, with yeah, yeah. 90 billion. But let's, you, don't, you don't need the last 10 that billion. Is, I mean, right? that, is, that is the message that's resonating, at least with uh, some of the Democratic voters. You saw Bernie won, the, well, we don't know. We'll, we'll probably never know. Well, he won, won, the, Iowa, he won the popular vote. I guess Buttigieg won the, uh, the, the way the, the caucuses are, yeah. Yeah, the delegates are compared. But it doesn't matter. What, what matters is you have an angry group of people that want to vote. Trump is an outlet for that anger. Bernie Sanders is an outlet for that anger. But you don't want socialism in the United States. This is my honest opinion. So who do you, not, do you have a, gonna, so are you a Republican? You were a Democrat I'm, I'm, before. No, you I've a been a light. See, that's, you, a, that's what happens. When you, go into the, when you go into politics in America, the first move is character assassination. So I gave a $2,000 check to Hillary Clinton in 2000 alongside of Donald Trump when she was coming out of the White House to sure. run for the Senate in New York. And so therefore, I'm a lifelong Hillary Clinton supporter. But I don't even know her, and I gave her $2,000. Barack Obama, different story. I went to law school with him. So yes, uh, I was politically agnostic at that time, a lifelong Republican. But I thought erroneously, okay, this will be the only person I'll ever personally know that's running for president. I didn't yeah. realize I'd end up working for a president. So I said, okay, I'm going to go bundle for the guy. And so I was never a Democrat. I'm a lifelong moderate Republican who believes in marriage equality and is fairly agnostic on things like... Uh, a woman's right to choose. I mean, I have my own opinion as a Roman Catholic, but I think if you're pro-choice, that's my choice. You can have a different choice. I'm agnostic. And we're, we're, so, of, so the, of the Democrats, so I don't so fit if, in if the you, box. If you, of any you don't of know people. any of them. You didn't go to school with any of these ones. But who but would Mike, you? I know well. I mean, oh, Mike, Mike Bloomberg, I was on, I was on uh, uh, Mayor Bloomberg's Financial Services Advisory Committee for seven years. Uh, he appointed me to that committee in 2005. I served on it from 2005 to so 2012. You'd be a Bloomberg supporter. I mean, he was a Republican. He, he was yeah, I mean, I don't think me being a Bloomberg supporter is going to help Mike Bloomberg right now. If Mike Bloomberg gets the nomination... He's not sought your endorsement at the moment. Well, he doesn't need my endorsement. <laughs> well, he doesn't and need it, anyone's, it, Yeah, it, but it would make it... You know, he doesn't need my endorsement. If anything... I think it hurts him because I'm a Wall Street guy that supported well, Trump. Well, you're controversial, just so it's better just to stay Am out. I? Yeah, you're a little controversial. Am I? Tell me you? why. <laughs> when you look at the, the issue of populism, it's not just... I mean, we've talked about Donald Trump. You were obviously in the Trump administration for how many days? I was there for 11 days. Okay. Yeah, but I worked for him for, you know, nine months. Yeah, no, months. no, and we I met, at the, the executive as I said, yeah. in the, at the Republican convention. You've obviously been in the orbit. When I, when well, I got fired, it was a big bummer, and it was, like, horrifying in a lot of ways, but, like... Then he blew out another 80 people, and now it's just like another pin dot in the constellation of Trump oh, refugees. No, no, there's a, there's a, there's a, yeah. Every yeah. one of us is going through Trump traumatic employment syndrome, though. You know how you have like post-traumatic stress from yeah, yeah. like war experience or your parents' divorce? 
This is Trump traumatic stress syndrome. We're all going through it, and we're all you, analyzing. You can have an alumni. You could have like no, a meeting. We, even, we, have actually, we actually have a quiet support group. I can't tell you who else is in the group with me because they're less uh, public than I am. There is these, these things that we talk about, the things that propelled Trump. Trump is just a symptom of a bigger problem, as you pointed out, with monetary policy and other policies. We have the same problem in Europe. I mean, you do have, while there, there is still perhaps a more cohesive middle class, you do have these inequalities and you have lack of growth. You have monetary policy that's far worse than the, or more complicated than it is in the United States. Well, but you also have a structural problem in Europe. You, know, you, have, a, you have a fictitious uh, currency called the euro. That's a structural problem. I just used it to buy coffee. How is I, it fictitious? I, well, well, because it's a fixed exchange rate mechanism and it's not a federalized currency. And so you can study 5,500 years of currencies, fixed exchange rate mechanisms never sustain themselves. They never work. Well, you know, one died in uh, the Bretton Woods, one died in 71. The ERM died when uh, George Soros took it out in 92. And the euro is causing a lot of problems because these countries are culturally different and their, their economies run differently, and so therefore there's going to be a lot of stress in that system. So you're short the euro, you think, or not is this short, a long-term? No, it's a long-term problem. It's a long-term problem. The, the big problem for America and Europe and the West is, and this is the problem that plagues most democracies, is leadership. At the end of the day, what Harry Truman said is ultimately true. You know what a statesman is? It's a dead politician, okay? And so what ultimately happens is these people are very short-term, they're very politically expedient, they want to cling to power, and they do something uh, that I would, I would compare as follows. You can be a thermometer or a thermostat as a leader. And all of the politicians right now, this generation of politicians are thermometers. They're te testing the weather, yeah. and they're saying, okay, populism, nationalism, that's my jingo, let me go with that. But if you were a thermostat, you would say, okay, let's go with the right policies. Let's, let's take the temperature yeah. down to where we need to be as a nation or as a world or as Western civilization. And so that would require five, 10, 15, 20-year plans instead of two-minute cable news battles. That would require people actually sitting down with each other and saying, okay, listen, I can't get 100% because we're in a democracy. But maybe on this one trade, I can get 50 or 60, and you can get 40. You can get 60 on the next trade. Yeah, yeah. And so we're going hard left and hard right in our policy debates instead of right and wrong. Yeah. And this is, this, is a, this is a problem. Like, so, I, it's not just uh, in the United States. That's, no, it's not just in the United States. It's here it's in here, Europe. It's everywhere. And it's short-termism and expediency. So you're going to need somebody transformative in Europe or transformative in the United States. And Mike Bloomberg does have these qualities, by the way, where he's like, okay, you know, I don't care. I can't be bought. I'm worth $60 billion. I'm about right and wrong as it relates to policy. And oh, by the way, I'm 77 years old, so let's put a plan in place. What difference does it make? Right. So, so you living in Europe now, Gerhard Schroeder, even though he went to go work for Vladimir Putin in the end, he's one of my heroes. Can I tell you why? Why? Schroeder, you're saying. Gerhard, Schroeder, Gerhard Chancellor. Schroeder. Yeah, yeah he, he reformed in his third term, he reformed the German labor market. And he got ousted by the special interests that were originally supporting him, all those labor unions. Remember, he was a sure. labor-oriented sort of a guy. But he said something remarkable. And I said, well, that guy is really trying to help his country. He said, the country that can fire the most people will hire the most people. 
And so he reformed the labor market and it led to staggering growth for Germany at a time when the French over-regulated their labor market. And so you can't fire people in France. Yeah. If I go to hire you and you well, want to lay... Changed. Macron has changed. Emmanuel He's Macron. trying to, He's but trying. they're running around with yellow jackets, they're setting fire to no, cars. Reform is tough. Reform is tough, but it's necessary. And reform also comes with the cataclysm of political suicide. Okay, if you want to do the right thing in the Western democracies now, you're going to get steamrolled. But look at what Gerhard Schroeder did for his country in 06. Merkel was a direct political beneficiary of all those reforms. She also got the benefit of the euro because in a Deutschmarkified world, uh, the Germans would have been trading their goods and services at a 25% premium they on the currency. Got to, uh, they got to devalue their currency. That's what they export. did. So, so, you see, see, so, so you have to... And, and obviously, I've had this conversation Which with why everyone wants them to be a little bit more um, loose with the spending. Yeah, but Europe. I've also had this conversation. You know, the reason why President Trump gets so agitated, but I've, I've briefed Trump on this stuff on the, mm. on the campaign plan, explained to him what the Germans did. They, they linked their currency to all the Southern European sure. countries, and, and so those countries have a pressure on them to devalue. So we should merge with the Mexican peso. Was we that should. His idea? That, Trump said I that. Mean, no, I don't know. Maybe no, that's no. the uh, analog. No, I don't think so. I think I think that for the, for the United States, the need for the United States to stay competitive, stay entrepreneurial, and uh, stay market based—that's the most important thing for the United States. Okay. Last last thing. Yeah. Uh, you go, Bernie. Sa- if you go, Jeremy and Jenny Corbyn. That's Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in the United States. Yeah. Trump will win by a forty-five state landslide. All right. All right last Mike, question. Mike is in. Well, I think if Mike gets the nomination, he'll destroy Trump. Yeah. yeah, because he'll spend $5 billion, and he doesn't care about Trump's nonsense. He'll hit Trump in a zone of intellectual gravitas that Trump will never be able to get to. You know, he has a you know, one-inch deep analysis of everything. All right. You were going to well, ask but, me one last no, question. Well, all right, Buttigieg. Well, I like him. I met him in, at the Texas Tribune Festival. I like him. Speaks seven languages. He's a... Uh, Oxford grad, he's an army vet, he can be president. Is he going to be president at age 37? You know, anything can happen in the United States, but, but it's not his sexual preferences that are going to stop him from being president, in my opinion. I think people are totally over all that stuff. Yeah. It's, I think it's his experience. But, but does he have the temperament and the analytical capabilities and the self-confidence? I'll tell you something, he's way more self-confident than Donald Trump. He doesn't seem very insecure, does he? Way more self-confident. Uh, I've never met anybody as insecure as Donald Trump. It's sort of scary, you know, because he can't take input from... A sign of insecurity is that you can't take input from anybody else. Yeah. Right? You're, 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 you're always on guard. All right, well, look, I know you have lunch with the Prime Minister. I'm going to watch it. Thank right. you very much. Have a great, great trip for the rest of your great, time in great, Italy. Great, great to be here and uh, try not to uh, fly around, though. You know, you can bicycle in Europe yeah, and you can do, do things like that, okay? Reduce your carbon <laughs> footprint, please. Okay? Thanks, Andrew. Okay, that's it for now. Hope you enjoyed it. This podcast was produced by Freddie Joyner. And if you haven't already done so, please sign up on iTunes and anywhere else you satisfy your audio cravings for The Exchange, The Views Room, and other Reuters podcasts. You can also check us out at BreakingViews.com and on Twitter at BreakingViews and at Rob Wancox. Thanks for tuning in and arrivederci.